All right, hello, welcome to the English Sunday, Sunday School class at Yomsan Baptist Church. I'm not Cameron, Cameron is uh, away, and so today I'm going to be filling in for him. Uh, we're going to be studying John chapter 3, and I actually have never really preached from John chapter 3 before. And so uh, the Lord just sort of laid this on my, on my heart as I was praying about what I might teach on while... Uh, this week while Cameron is away and uh, just I thought I'd do this and so John chapter 3 um, we're going to go ahead and and read uh, through verse um, through verse 21 and so John chapter 3 let's uh, if you have your Bible or a phone with a Bible on it so we'll go ahead and, and read this, and then we'll, and we'll uh, discuss it. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher, come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, He must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So it is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen. And, we, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you of earthly things, and you believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that cometh down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Alright, uh, this is uh, something I've considered teaching on for a while, and probably I'm going to make up a sermon on it one of these days, but we are kind of busy on other things on Sundays these days, and I'm, I'm really enjoying the, the series uh, both in 1 Peter and in, in uh, Genesis, and uh, so, but down the road it'll happen, probably not when you're still here, so, 
Anyways, so let's begin by considering the historical context, that, because I think that the, um, very often in Bible teaching and preaching, the context is overlooked, and that's a, not a good thing. That's not a good thing. We should always uh, try to understand the context, because the context is going to guide us and help us to come to a right interpretation of any passage. And if we look at a passage separated from its context, you can make it say almost anything you want to. And so uh, context is very important. The timing of this was very early in the ministry of Christ. Uh, you understand that uh, probably it had been uh, maybe three or four months, something like that, since the, the, the Christ began his ministry. And you all know when Christ began his ministry, at what event? The marriage supper at Cana, when the Lord turned water into wine, that was the that's was basically Christ coming out and revealing Himself. That was the first time that He uh, um, had uh, done anything publicly. Now, before that, there are some things that He had done. He had begun calling His apostles, probably at the marriage supper. Six of the apostles had already been called, including, you know, uh, Nathaniel and Philip and, and Peter and uh, Andrew, James and John. And so those, those six were already his disciples. And if you go back and you read that passage, it says that uh, Jesus and his disciples were, were invited uh, to, the, to the wedding uh, feast there. And uh, the other significant thing that had taken place before this event, and that probably took place either the same day or the day before, was that Jesus had cleansed the temple. This was the first um, feast that Jesus attended in his ministry as Christ. Prior to that time, Jesus had attended the feast, but he hadn't, he hadn't revealed himself. But now he's revealing himself. When he went in and cleansed the temple, that certainly revealed himself. The, the first feast that Jesus attended was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They, they call that Passover as well. And uh, do, do you know the other two feasts that uh, Jewish people or Jewish men were required to attend? If you were from the age of uh, 30 to 60, you were required uh, to attend uh, three feasts a year. Passover. What was the next one? Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles was the third one. Trumpets. And uh, in between there was Pentecost. Pentecost. So, um, so it was it was the unleavened bread, Pentecost, and then Tabernacles. So, uh, Tabernacles was the fall one. The other two were spring feasts. So. Those were the ones that uh, they had to attend, and, and, and Jesus uh, began this ministry. And it is probably, you know, because John came to Jesus in the evening, it says, at night. Probably he had already cleansed the temple earlier that day. And that's why he was coming to him. So, uh, so Jesus had certainly demonstrated unheard of authority. Uh, through those two things, through those two miracles, that uh, probably, you know, the Jews at this time, this doesn't get, get talked about much 
But the Jews at this time were they were probably anticipating something. And and do you know why? Why why was there and why was there a certain amount of expectation among the Jewish nation as a whole at this particular time in history? I'm asking a lot of questions, but you'll remember the answers better if I ask them. Like Daniel chapter 9. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel gave that, uh, that uh, prophecy about the weeks. And uh, if you add up those, those, then this was the time. Those, those 490 years, actually 483 years, because the last seven years are going to be the seven years of the tribulation period. The 483 years from when Artaxerxes gave the decree to rebuild the walls around the city of Jerusalem, not the temple. The temple was already rebuilt. But the walls around the city of Jerusalem, uh, uh, from, from that decree until, uh, really until the triumphal entry of Jesus, just maybe two and a half years after this, was, was 483 years. What about it is birth? Um, probably there was, maybe there was some expectation from his birth, but I, I think not as much as, because, because the Jews could count and they studied scripture. I think after Christ came, that's when there became sort of an anathema on anybody who counted up the years in the book of Daniel. Uh, well, I mean, I think too, I heard somebody preach it, and may have been you, um, that the reason the wise men came was because of Daniel. Yes. And because they had counted, you know, and knew to come. I mean, yes, there was the star, but they also knew what that meant. They did, and, and it's curious because, well, not curious, but uh, it's noteworthy that that prophecy was not given in the Hebrew language. It was given in Aramaic, so that the people, those wise men from the East, though they were not Jew, they could read it and understand it. But, yes, yeah, certainly the birth of Christ. But I think that it's easier to discount the testimony of shepherds than it is to discount Daniel. So the shepherds, you know, and we don't know how many shepherds there were. There could have been two or three or four or five, but whatever. The, how, they were the only ones who were, who were witness to him being born and then and, but of course they didn't know that that he you know was virgin born they only know that it was announced to them by angels that the messiah was going to be born in bethlehem so you're thinking about something what yes. but you 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 have the whole story with the king and going and killing all the children they wouldn't have done that had it not been for the prophecy so i'm a little confused why 30 years later you're also saying that same anticipation so is it both times or well i don't think uh you know it, it's hard to say but the jews weren't looking for jesus to be born then only only you know the wise men from the east the magi but but uh I, they're, they're just, uh, history shows from the writings of the rabbis and that there was 
there was an expectation, and perhaps it was because of the political situation, uh, that there was an expectation that something was going to happen. Because there hadn't been any word from any prophetical word since Malachi, and that was 400 years. So uh, I think that, that based just upon what you uh, discover when you read a lot of the Jewish commentaries and things, there was an expectation at that time that something was going to happen. And uh, so they, but it, it was more of a political, they wanted a political kingdom. I think they wanted that kingdom much more than they wanted a Messiah. They wanted so, a conquering king. Yes, they, they wanted a conquering want, king. Yeah. They didn't want, they didn't want the, the, the person that was presented in Isaiah 53. Right. They wanted the one that was in the prophecies about him, you know, ruling with a rod of iron. Uh, Psalm 2. Mm -hmm. That's what they wanted. So, so uh, Jesus uh, did all that. Uh, let me just say a couple things too about the uh, the uh, the first miracle, the the wedding feast at Cana. I think you all understand that wine in the Bible is a generic word. Uh, wine does not mean what it means today. Even in 1611, when the King James Bible was translated, wine doesn't mean today what it meant then and uh, they, they of course had alcoholic wine back then but I think the alcoholic wine back then didn't have the same amount of alcohol in it that it that it has today but but uh, you can find many passages in the Bible where it talks about orchards of wine and clusters of wine well you know wine doesn't doesn't grow on vines. Grapes grow on vines. And wine bottles don't, don't come in clusters. Grapes come in clusters. It's very obvious that, that in many places in the New Testament and the Old Testament, uh, the word wine is not referring to anything alcoholic. And uh, we, we have to judge by context when it is. So uh, I, since the wine that Jesus made was good, the Bible says it was good. It was good wine. It couldn't have been alcoholic. It couldn't have been fermented wine. Because we know what happens when people spend a long time at wine. Uh, the, book of, the book of Proverbs tells us, look not at the wine when it moves itself right and so forth. So if, if bad results happen from drinking it, then it isn't a good thing. It isn't a good thing. And uh, so... The wine that, that Jesus made was fresh, pure juice. And uh, I think that has to be obvious from the context. And, uh, you know, I don't want to get into a whole long discussion about wine, but uh, those that uh, try to justify social drinking because of that, well, they are really missing the mark. They're really missing the mark. So... Uh, the, the, the second miracle, though, the miracle of the cleansing of the temple, that was certainly the Lord uh, demonstrating his disgust with improper worship. And uh, so, hey, I think, is it, it's in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, when it, it talks about him that, that uh, I want to get the words right. 
verse 17, 1 Corinthians 3, 17, if any man defile the temple of God, uh, him shall God destroy, for the temple is holy, which temple are ye? Now, the, this verse is almost exactly the same as a verse that's later, I think it's in uh, chapter uh, 8, maybe, uh, where it's talking about... Um, somebody going in with an immoral woman and committing fornication and defiling themselves which is the temple of God because the Holy Spirit dwells within you this is not talking about the body this is talking about the house of God it's talking about the church and so if anybody defiles the church God will destroy them now that doesn't mean that they'll go to hell but it, it, it you can be destroyed without going to hell you can be, uh, you can, you can be like the Bible says, somebody saved yet so is by fire, and have everything that was precious to you, more precious to you than, than the Word of God, than Christ, and even your own testimony, and that can be destroyed. And so, um, uh, the the, it's I think that uh, that can be applied to Jesus' cleansing of the temple. So, all right, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, number two there, evidently for fear of the Jews, uh, because he was a ruler, it says. Now, a ruler was, uh, a, that term was uh, pretty much a, uh, exclusively used for those who are members of the uh, Jewish Council of Seventy, the Sanhedrin. And so he he's had his seat there among those 70 men that, can, that were... <coughs> essentially the civil and religious authorities in uh, the nation of Israel and uh, the, the, the Sanhedrin they were definitely they were very powerful but at the same time they were very fearful and uh, they were they were, it was they were constantly doing things to appease the people the masses and so it kind of reminds you of today's politicians because uh, everything they do is only done after you know straw polls and uh, you know wet their fingers and see where the winds of political correctness are blowing because because they have to maintain their power they have to continue getting reelected and uh, so that's that's what it was for them that's why he came by night uh, he he didn't want people to see him coming to Jesus he certainly didn't want the other members of the Sanhedrin to see him come to Jesus he had questions. Uh, and I think his questions were legitimate questions, uh, but it's interesting that Jesus never answered his question. Because his question was about the miracle. Look at it in John 3 and uh, verse 2. And the same came to Jesus by night, said unto him, Rabbi. Of course, Rabbi, we know, means teacher. Uh, he was probably much older than Christ. Uh, Christ at this time was probably 30 years old. And uh, he may have been twice that age. He may have been, you know, in his 60s. And so a, a rabbi was, a, you know, it's like sunsang nim in Korea. It's, it's a term of respect. If you want to be polite to somebody, call him teacher. And uh, that's, what, that's what he did. But there were more polite terms that he could have called Jesus. But since he was much older than Christ, this is apparently as, as polite as he was going to get. And uh, he, he says, We know thou art a teacher come from God, for no man 
can do these miracles thou doest except God be with him. So his question wasn't even really a question. It's like, okay, well, you must be from God. You did miracles. And Jesus just ignores that. He just ignores that. And, and he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. When, you know, when we are trying to witness to somebody and give them the gospel, we need to ignore the questions that would derail the conversation from talking about the most important thing, which is how they can be saved. And uh, Jesus explaining to him how he was from God or how he did miracles was not going to, uh, it was not going to meet the need that was the real need in Nicodemus' life. And uh, so, uh, the, what he said, what he said was uh, the necessity of, of being born again, being born of water and of uh, the Spirit. And of course, there's a lot of discussion about what that means. Some people take that and, and say, well, water is referring to the Word of God. No, I don't think that there's anything symbolic or even typological in, in what Jesus said here. Uh, when a woman, when her water breaks, the baby's going to be born. And that's what it means. Born of water, born of the Spirit. We're all born of water physically, and then we're born of the Spirit if we're born again. And that's that washing of regeneration that, that only the Spirit of God can effect within us by making us... Uh, uh, born again and uh, that only comes about of course by faith by faith it, it, it's not going to happen by birth uh, Nicodemus was ruler in Israel and no doubt he was very familiar with the law and uh, he probably based his whole uh, life upon adhering to the demands of the law and uh, uh, but the law didn't save him and he knew it the law didn't save anyone else because they continually had to bring more offerings and more sacrifices uh, to atone for their sin. It was a never-ending process. Uh, all of those lambs that had to die because they kept failing and they, they didn't, uh, uh, it, it just proved their necessity for, um, for a savior. So. Uh, I don't know, There's uh, we've got five minutes left here, and uh, I can quickly try to summarize uh, the last few things I want to say, but uh, to me it's interesting that uh, Christ used uh, il uh, nature in his illustration when he talked about the wind, and uh, he said the wind bloweth where it's listed, and uh, you, can't, you can't see it, and we still can't. I mean, I, they can put things up on radar and color them in and so forth, but, but man has no ability to direct the wind. Uh, we, can, we can only see the results of it blowing. And the, those uh, effects of the wind are not something that man does. It's something that God does. And that is, that's, that's the same truth about spiritual things. Um, uh, God, the Spirit of God, by the way, is what many people mistake the church to be. Because the Spirit of God, you can't see it. 
Uh, Jesus said, if you say, oh, it's over there, oh, it's here, you can't see it. Uh, but, but you can certainly see the church, because the church is the people. The Spirit of God, or the Kingdom of God, is, is everybody in the world that's a truly born-again individual. That's the Kingdom of God. But the Church of God is not the Kingdom of God. The Church of God is those who are baptized and they have uh, covenanted together to keep the ordinances, to fulfill the Great Commission, and to edify one another as well as to evangelize the lost. That's the church. The church is visible. The church can be seen. The kingdom of God can't be seen. And uh, so there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding about those two things. And that's certainly right in agreement with what Jesus said here. He said, you see the wind, but, well, you don't. Uh, you see the effects of the wind, but you don't see the wind. And uh, so... Um, then also, uh, Nicodemus didn't understand these things. And uh, nobody who is unsaved un understands spiritual things. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Let's go over there real quick and we'll read that verse and then we'll, then we'll, uh, we'll have to close. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2, uh, beginning at verse number 9. Uh, but as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man, which is in him, either, even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that which, or that we might know the things that are freely given unto us of God, which things also we speak in words, in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And so at that point, uh, Nicodemus didn't understand those things because it required the Spirit of God enabling him to be able to understand them. And no man who's unsaved can understand the things of God. And it's curious, uh, Nicodemus was, of course, a member of the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin were ruled over by the high priest. The high priest in Jesus' day weren't even legitimate high priests because they weren't descendants of Aaron. Some of them weren't even Levites. Some of them weren't even full-blooded Jews. Uh, they got their position by political intrigue, by paying bribes and, and things like that. And so uh, uh, surely the, he, he knew those things that all of these, all of these high priests were, were frauds. And, uh, but he was still part of that illegitimate, illegitimate organization. So, all right, well, we'll, you know, if I get a chance, we'll maybe consider this again some other time. So, let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for giving.